This is Bless You Boys Podcast 83, recorded Friday, August 23rd, 2013. I forgot Darren Downs is even in the bullpen. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Podcast, where the managing editors of Bless You Boys get together to kick around the past week or so of Tigers baseball. Obviously, Bless You Boys is SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. I'm Al Beaton, your host and blogger wrangler. Uh, going to talk with uh, Kurt Benching this week. Kurt, how are things going? Well, not too shabby here. How about you? Uh, can't complain other than, you know, just the usual uh, family drama and uh, Tigers playing 500 ball, which gets everybody all upset, and, you know, and any, you know, the usual. I, I thought we're same, the same shit, different week. <laughs> well, you know, if it hadn't started the magic number countdown, I bet the team would have been a lot better. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so, yeah, that's who we got to blame. Blame the magic number people. <laughs> uh, uh, a couple of uh, things before we get started. Uh, we're probably going to hit the podcast, as you've noticed, we haven't had Allison on as of late, and we probably won't be able to just because the way schedules are working out for especially for Kurt and myself is that we're tied up almost every night. I'm tied up doing the recaps for Bless You Boys, and Kurt is pretty much uh, doing the SB Nation job uh, during that, that same time. So the only time we're going to be able to really get down to record the podcast will be likely during the week, during the day. So obviously Allison works. <laughs> and I don't think uh, her bosses at uh, at OSU would approve her doing a podcast in the middle of the afternoon. So uh, we'll we'll do what we can to have other people on the show. But for the most part, it looks like from here on out, it's going to be Kurt and myself. So, but again, you you, you listen to me to answer the questions. You, you listen to Kurt to be entertaining. So that's I guess <laughs> that's pretty much what it's boiled down to. It started up a whole gaggle of voices, and we're pretty much down to two. So, but uh, we'll have Allison on when we can. You know if. Uh, uh, as schedules dictate, but right now it's going to be pretty much Kurt and, uh, Kurt and myself from here on out. So, and uh, other than that, just uh, if you want to talk to us about any of this or any questions or any complaints or whatever, uh, contact us at bybtigers at gmail dot com, bybpodcast at gmail dot com. We're also on the Twitters at Bless You Boys and on Facebook, facebook dot com slash byb dot tigers. You can hold us at any of those avenues. With that out of the way, Kurt, I know last week we talked to nothing but seemed like controversies and drama. Well, this week is mostly baseball. You know, there's a little bit of steroid stuff we'll get toward. We'll get to at the end of the podcast because that's, you know, if anything, it's pretty much a weekly weekly event in Major League Baseball nowadays. But the Tigers actually had a lot going on this past week, and it wasn't all because of a winning streak because they're not on a winning streak anymore. They've kind of leveled off since the uh, their big tear, and they've played pretty much 500 ball for the last week or so. But there was some interesting baseball in that. The, they had a big series win, but a bad series loss. Tigers took three of five from the Royals, despite being brutally swept in an absolutely miserable doubleheader last Friday. Uh, we're recording this actually uh, a week later, Friday afternoon. Uh, was it uh, today is the uh, 23rd? Yeah. It is the 23rd. 23rd. So, but. That was one of the more miserable days of baseball I've ever suffered through. As I recapped both games for Bless You Boys, I was pretty much in front of my computer for about eight hours, uh, writing about absolutely awful, awful games. You know, because the Tigers didn't hit for <laughs> either one of those games. Regardless of that doubleheader, the Tigers were able to take the final two games of that series, taking three of five, and the Royals actually left town a game further back uh, than when they arrived. They're, they're at that time, eight and a half. They've lost another game. Uh, you know, over the past week to the point where the uh, Royals are pretty much an afterthought. Right? They're nine and a half back now. But the Twins arrived uh, the fourth place team in the Central, and they're on track to win about you know 70 games or something like that. Yet they took two of three from the Tigers. Uh, and, well, Justin Verlander was both bad and unlucky. Uh, you know, there was some issues in that series, but it's not surprising when they play the Twins. Regardless of all this, Kurt, I think we, we often, again, tend to get caught up in the short-term stuff, because when you look at the overall record, 
the Tigers are in fine shape, despite losing two or three to the Twins as of this weekend. They'll be in, uh, playing the Mets, another lousy team. Uh, they are playing 667 ball in the second half. They have the second most wins in the AL at 74. They're only a game out. I think it's uh, the Red Sox at 75. And they have, they're tied for the best winning percentage in the American League at 583. So, Kurt, it's like we always, we seem to, uh, it's the old, what have you done for me lately? And with the Tigers, yeah, they played out, they had a couple of bad, you know, they've had about four stinkers over the past week and a half. But overall, this is still a team that's in really great shape. Well, you know, if Justin Verlander would stop pitching, they'd be a lot better. Hmm. No, I don't mean that. <laughs> well, maybe I do. Maybe yeah. I don't. We'll have to see. Yeah, but, exactly. But, yeah, you know, what they what they've run off, 12 wins in a row, what did people expect was going to happen? They're going to keep winning 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10? That's what they expect. <laughs> Actually, I think you're right. That That is what they expect, and it's not realistic, you know. This is baseball, and for the season they played what five eighty three, I think it is, and uh, eighty three, and that's tops in the American League. Yeah, so and they you know, almost seven hundred since the All Star break. So yeah, it, it's going to happen, and people, I mean, I, I, I've already received the emails saying, well, if they can't beat the Twins, what are they going to do in the playoffs? Oh. What, yeah, what the hell? They just won twelve in a row for Pete's mm-hmm. sake. They were sweeping anyone who got in their way. Uh, you know, if they can beat those teams, how are they going to do in the playoffs? It's, 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 that's the ridiculous notion that I hate, that everyone, you know, what happened in one single series has dictated now how they will do in the playoffs. Did they sweep? They're going to win the World Series. Yeah. Did they lose? They're not going to make it out of the first round. I mean, you know, let's, let's just be realistic here. It's, it's just ridiculous assertions like that. This is a game that they made. 162-game season for a reason, mm-hmm. and that reason is that in the short term, anything can happen, but in the really long term, you get to separate, and you you can feel pretty confident about the results. And long term, the Tigers are a really good team. Short term, they haven't won as much as people want. Yeah, yeah, and, and when all is said and done, this is going to this is a team that's going to win somewhere between 90 and 100 games, which is where pretty much the elite of Major League Baseball ends up almost every single year. You have those outliers where a team will win, win over 100, but you know, but for the most part, you win over 90 games, you're, you're, in, you're going to be in the playoffs, you're going to be in fine shape to win the division, and you're likely going to have a halfway decent lead in that division. And, yeah, two games against the Twins is not renege on what the Tigers have done over the two or three weeks previous. It's just... As you put it, that's baseball. That's how it goes. And cream rises to the top. But it takes a long time for cream to rise for the top in baseball. And right now we're in late August, and the Tigers have, for the most part, risen to the top for for some very good reasons, mostly because they have awesome starting pitching, as we've seen in the second half. So, And I don't see that awesome starting pitching except for the occasional uh, Verlander hiccup and or Rick Porcello, who was our fifth starter. Overall, though, this team's in great shape. But despite all that, Kurt, the, the Indians aren't going away. Uh, the Royals pretty much have. They're nine and a half out, and they're pretty much just hoping for uh, the second wild card at this point. The Indians, though, are hanging around at five games back as of uh, as of when we're recording this uh, on Friday. Uh, should we be concerned that the Indians have not been completely left in the dust or – or is, this, or is this about where you thought the Tigers would be to begin with? You know, the, the Tigers are right about where I thought they'd be. The Indians are better than where I thought they'd be. I, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've been consistent. I've said all along that I thought they'd be two or three games over 500. They're playing better than that. They're, you know, they might end up, if they were to keep this up, they could end up, you know, 88, 89 wins, I, I would expect. And yeah. that, you know, and that that's pretty good. So that's. That's the, that's the big difference. It's not that the Tigers aren't playing as well as expected. It's that the Indians are playing better. And, and really, I mean, if you look at the head-to-head, the reason the Tigers are in first place and the Indians are in second is that the Tigers have owned the Indians all season. Well, you know, it's straight head-to-head. If, if the results were flipped, the Tigers, I think, would be in second right now. So, yeah. you know, so when you're beating the second-place team routinely, it, and that second place team is doing good against everyone else. I, I think it says something about your team. Yeah, actually. So. Yeah, and uh, something people do need to keep in mind is that five games, uh, being five games back with about thirty-five or so left to play, 
that's a lot of ground to make up. And people th- tend to think, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's nothing. But the only way the Indians can really make up a serious amount of ground is for the Tigers to pull and uh, to, to fold, essentially fold, and they have to play out of their minds. And obviously, as you as you you alluded to, that in the head-to-head matchups, the Indians got to sweep. You know, at this point, the Tigers are in pretty sh- decent shape as long as, uh, well, I don't see the Indians play uh, doing what they did a few weeks ago, where they win uh, 10, 11 straight. I don't see the Tigers doing that either, for the most part, but. Uh, a lot of things really have to fall in perfect place for the Indians to be able to make up a five-game uh, disadvantage when they're chasing one of the best teams in the American League. Well, I'll try not to jinx things, Al. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not that I'm superstitious, but, uh, you know, there's always some team that looks looks really, really strong at the end of August that falls apart. So I don't want to jinx anything here. But, you know, realistically speaking, yes, what you say is true, but, you know, I'm, I'm – I'm knocking wood right now because I don't I don't want you to ruin things for the rest of us. Well, I, I said what happened with the Twins and Tigers a couple years ago was a once in a generational thing. I'll stand by that. Yes. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> nine game lead in September uh, happens about once every thirty or so years, if that. So I really have I have a hard time believing the Tigers are going to blow this lead. Well, you know, but but then what the Red Sox and Rays a couple of years ago. Before you know, I, it seems to happen every year that somebody somebody with a comfortable lead falls apart. So I'm, you know, it might not be nine games, but it, it, it's happening with with you know routinely now that something something goes wrong at the last moment for somebody. Well, keep so. in mind as well that the Tigers do have the backup, as they found out in 2006 in the wild card. So you know, even if the Tigers, God forbid, don't win the division. The way their record is right now, they would still be uh, in fine shape for a wild card. So all is not lost because the Indians are a whole five games back. I said there's a lot, there's a lot of games lames up to be played, but there's a lot of games to be made up from the Indian side. But one of the things that could change the face of the divisional race or the pennant race, whatever you want to say, is uh, the health of Miguel Cabrera, injuries, so to speak. And the Tigers have had more than their fair share. Uh, Alex Avila, as we speak, is rehabbing. From a uh, concussion in Toledo, should be back after the Mets series. Uh, still no word on Octavio Dotel, and he's still at low single A uh, rehabbing. Uh, so injuries could change the face of the race, and the biggest one seemed to be with Miguel Cabrera. Uh, he's still hitting the ball a ton, Kurt. He leads M- Major League Baseball in batting average, is not even close, and RBIs. He's second in home runs. But he, he, as we've all seen over the past few weeks, he, he's having trouble running. He's essentially jogging around the bases right now, and he is pretty trying to play through a great deal of pain. I mean, you, there was the screenshots we posted on the Bless You Boys Twitter uh, during Thursday's game of of a of a bloody knee. You know, it turned out it was just a raspberry, but it just kind of like adds to uh, what the guy is dealing with. You know, that he just broke open a scab, and everybody thought that uh, his knee had exploded like, you know, something out of the natural or something like that. <laughs> you know, but uh, he is batting reportedly an abdominal strain along with a bad shin, sore knee, and there's probably some issues there that we don't even know about that the Tigers won't let us know about. So even though he's hitting a ton, Kurt, are you concerned about the health of Cabrera? And there's a lot of talk in this town saying, wondering if the Tigers are doing the right thing by continuing to play him. Even though Cabrera's, even though Cabrera says, "I want to play," so Leland plays him. Do you think they would have? There'd be a point where they would have to uh, set him down for his own sake. Well, you know, I, I think if they feel comfortable with their their lead in the division, they should probably start to back off a little bit. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if, if we could if we could look at something and say this is definitively having a negative impact on on Cabrera's season. They'd have to, but pull up the stats. You, you know, his month of August is his best month of the year. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible. It, you know, and the, the guy is battling through the long, the laundry list of injuries that you've just lined off. And you should say, well, you know, if he's got all of these ailments, we should, we should see him becoming an ineffective batter, but he's, he's better than ever, more or less. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I really do think it would probably be in their best interest to to back off. You you can't. I don't. I don't think you want to take such a big layoff that he 
loses his timing or, you know, any of that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I really, I think it would be in everyone's best interest to just dial it back a little bit. And and that that should probably happen in, in September. It would not surprise me at all to see that happen in September. But uh, on the other hand, I think people might be freaking out just a little bit too much, too. Well, the, the other thing uh, that has to factor into this, Kurt, is the Triple Crown chase. You know, it's a little bit of a long shot right now because I believe Cabrera's five, uh, five or six home runs behind uh, Chris Davis right now. But it's still in play, and you got to believe that Cabrera has to realize what his place in history is at this point and what it could be if he wins back-to-back Triple Crowns. So you, you think that could be playing into this, i got to play over my injuries because of the Triple Crown race? Yeah, that uh, you know that that's probably part of it. it. And you have to imagine, even though he looks like he's just this big jovial kid out there having a good old time, you know, you have to imagine he's probably internally more competitive than than we can even dream. And I'm sure that he would love nothing more than to be a double, triple crown winner like that. And, and you know, just be so so historical. Yeah. You know? But and. and even, even like you said, you know, five or six home runs back. He was he was a couple of home runs back last year before he made that big push in September too. So, I I would I would I would think that that has to play a little bit into it. But you know, that that can't be everything. You yeah you know it's 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 one thing. It's nice to say hey I I won two triple crowns. Right. But it, it would also be nice to say I won a triple crown last year. I won a World Series bring this year, so yeah. you don't want you don't want anything to get in the way of that. He people will not truly think of him as a great player decades from now without a little you know hardware on his hand to go along with what's on his head. Yeah, that that's uh, the legacy. Uh, that's probably the one thing that's uh, missing in his legacy. Well, I wouldn't say that because he did win with the Marlins, but he was a much younger player who wasn't carrying a team. He's carrying a team at this point. This is his team and a, a World Series of him leading it, leading the team to that point. That would be kind of like tying the bow on a Hall of Fame legacy. Uh, uh, let's, I want to divert off our little outline here, Kurt, because uh, there's I wouldn't call it breaking news. It's something we've been, we've been hearing about over the past few days with Victor Martinez. But uh, as uh, – People were wondering, you know, that they, they, uh, they had seen uh, Martinez working out as a catcher along with other parts of the infield. Uh, MLive's James Schimmel and uh, the Oakland Press's nephew, B. Maori, have reported, and actually the Tigers have confirmed it by releasing the lineup, Victor Martinez is starting at catcher tonight in, in uh, New York City. Uh, you think this could be, uh, well, I'm trying to wonder the uh, what's behind the, uh, the thoughts of this, just because I know they want his bat in the lineup, but he wasn't that great of a catcher to begin with. He hasn't really caught at all in a year and a half, two years. And I would have to think if I'm the Mets, I'm licking my chops if I get on base. I'm running every single time. You know, I, I think a few things have to do with it. One, you know, Brian Pena took that, that ball up. Yeah. That, that, and mm-hmm. So, you know, they're down to two catchers, one catcher and a half already with, yeah. you know, Holiday being the only option here. Uh yeah, they 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 feel like they could use B Mart in the lineup, of course. Uh, I think we saw you know B Mart playing in the field earlier this season. I thought you know he had one of the highlight plays of the year, and yeah. I don't think anyone could have expected that. I mean, so maybe he's feeling better, his knee's feeling fine, he's feeling athletic, you know. Well, and, that can seem to confirm that. That's for sure. And, and finally, you know, it's never too early to start to think about the World Series. That's my thought as well. They got they're trying to figure out a way to get uh, his bats into the lineup if the Tigers or whenever the Tigers play in the National League Park. So seeing if he can still catch, I guess no 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 time like the present considering the Mets aren't very good. There are some injury issues and the Tigers are you know, not like Martinez is they're pulling him off the street to play catcher. I mean he has does have experience, even if he was a if he defense you know, he's pretty much made his living as uh, with his bat, but you know, I guess uh it just gives uh, Tigers fans, Kurt, something else to worry about because you know they're all going to be up in arms the first time there might be a play at the plate and you start screaming about his knee. Well, yeah. You, if you, can't they just be happy the Lions no, won last night? No, they can't. No. The Lions won. They should be happy about life. <laughs> I, I don't care if it's the preseason. They, you know, can't that, that, that should make them happy. But no, no, people are never happy. No, they're not. 
All right, let's go. Let's get back on track here as best we can. And uh, well, I guess we got to go into the, at least a little bit of the controversy portion of the show. We got to talk a little about Brent Fielder because a lot went down with him since we've last chatted. Uh, and this all, most of this all went down last week. It's been uh, it a lot of it went down right after we uh, released the podcast, like last Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, in a radio interview on the new uh, sports talk station here in Detroit, 105.1. Uh, Tory Hunter was being interviewed, and the topic of fans, uh, well, the topic of Prince Fielder came up and his uh, slump. No, he, he's, he's dragging for career lows in almost every statistical category. Uh, at the time, uh, Hunter asked fans to back off Fielder, saying people don't know what's going on in his life, inferring that there's personal problems. A day later, it was discovered that Fielder had filed for divorce in May, pretty much the same time as uh, his numbers fell off the fell off a cliff. Uh, he's had home run droughts of 20 and 19 games this season. He actually don't even starting to come back. He's hit three in the last week and a half. But fans seem to be split on this, Kurt. You got the uh, you got some saying that slack should be cut. You know, for every, they're, they're not robots. Everybody has issues they have to fight through, and some handle better than others. And and for most of us, we don't have 50 you know 40,000 people screaming at us when we fail. And others are saying, well. You know, pick up, pick yourself up by the boot slaps, uh, you know, by the bootstraps I did. So, no, we, we're not, we're not going to harp too much on this because we pretty much said our piece uh, at Bless You Boys and Kurt wrote the, uh, wrote a, uh, it's not really any of our business. But I guess when it comes to this, Kurt, all I can say is uh, this is what it, uh, the, the topic just kind of bothers me how fans reacted to it because uh, it's one thing I've learned when stuff like this goes down is that. Fans can be very horrible people because a lot of people said a lot of very nasty things about Prince Fielder during the slump and in reaction to this news. Well, yeah, and you know, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go get political per se, but I, I think sometimes, you know, when something like this happens, our our inner selves come out and yeah. we we expose a little more than maybe we should expose, and and people people looked at this through their personal prisms, which yeah. may or may not the, you know, accurate depictions of the world. So I think some of that is what we saw. Yeah. And there's, there's a, and I'm not going to, you know, Fielder had a great year last year, but in some ways it may end up being his career year, you know, just, you know, you know, the, the 300, 400, 500 numbers he put up, but to, uh, to ask the think Fielder would react in the same way any of us would, when we're not in his shoes, I think is way too much to, as you put it, you know, we, we're all looking through our own prism and what we've done when we've gone through bad situations like this, and uh, we all handle them differently. And Fielder, for, for different than most of us, he has to do it in a very public forum. He has to do it with uh, a father who did the same, went through the same exact thing in a very ugly divorce that Fielder took his mother's side on, and. And it's, I don't know, it's just, it's very bothersome the way I see the people just seem to think, uh, you know, with a player slumps and it's either he can't hack it because he's not mentally tough enough or the other one, he must have went off the PEDs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and God, I, I, I don't even know which one I hate worse. But. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more about PEDs later anyway, but, uh, I, I think we we pretty much said our, our piece of that. It's what Prince Fielder's personal life is none of our business. Uh, he will handle it as best he sees fit, and we'll just worry about his on-field production and what that happens there. You know, we we tend not to, we try not to, bless you boys, to get into the tabloidish side of baseball, and it's you know I think it's paid off uh, with. Uh, our, our high readership, you know, people want us for baseball. They don't want us to be the TMZ of of the of the Tigers baseball blogosphere. So, yeah, and you know, just to touch on that, I, I just think and people go, well, you know, we get like a message yesterday, like like insinuating that we're afraid to hurt Justin Verlander's feelings. Yeah, I saw that tweet. I, that's just ridiculous because I don't believe for a second that Justin Verlander reads us or gives a flying, yeah, you know, a flying kite what we have to say about him. So, but. I, my personal view, and I think it's paid off in the long run, is that baseball is fun, it's entertainment, and, and we should approach it like that as a site. And we're going to analyze it and try and help people understand it, but I am never going to get away from the idea that baseball should be fun, and if it's not fun 
you know, is, for me as a writer or, or, or being involved in the community, I don't want to be a part of it. So yeah. if people are looking for Bless You Boys to be some, you know, muckraking, you know, asshole radio DJ type, it's not going to happen. We're, we're here to have fun. And obviously it's paid off because our readership has been through the roof compared to the past. Exactly. And we made a similar decision last year with the death of Max Scherzer's brother. Uh, we made a little bit of a note of it, but we, after, for a very long, for a few days, it had, was not confirmed. Scherzer wasn't talking about it. And we weren't about to do any speculating of our own. So, and, you know, it's, you know, we try to be respectful of the players' feelings and all these. And obviously, Fielder doesn't want to talk about it right now, as he says everything's fine and he's doing what he can. So that's how we'll leave it. All right, Kurt, uh, back to baseball. And uh, <laughs> one of the uh, weird things of the past week, when it came to uh, uh, the bullpen, is not that you know. Al Albuquerque suddenly remembered how to pitch over the last few days, or Phil Cole got sent down, which we'll talk about next. Ooh. But it was the use of Joaquin Benoit, who really, even though he has been used as a closer, if you look at the numbers, if you look at what he's been doing, he's been their best reliever overall, no matter where they've used him. Yet, because of game circumstances, he didn't pitch for six consecutive games. He didn't pitch for about a week, and that kind of... That's what drives me nuts about the, the new use of bullpens in baseball, Kurt, is that it seems to me it's patently ridiculous when baseball's conventional wisdom dictates you cannot use your closer unless you have a ninth-inning lead. Now, if that means he sits on the bench for a week, then so be it. That just seems absolutely stupid to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I I, I, I think, you, I, I mean, I, and, and it seems like something Jim Leland would have done in the past is, is say, you know, I had to get him innings just to keep him sharp. Exactly. So, and that's the reason he used, say, you know, Jose Valverde in bad situations in the past and, and people were left throwing their heart and hands in the air screaming, you know, and, and it, it just seems like you would find a place one inning to get Benoit in there just to, just to keep him a little sharp against real major league hitting people who want to, you know, make their lunch money off the guy. It, right. it just seems strange that he didn't make it in for six days. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it's, you know, it's just that uh, it just, it, I, I was just dumbfounded when I when it started coming to me. Boy, they haven't used uh, Benoit in a few days. and It ended up being almost a week. And yet, you know, we're seeing Phil Coke. We're seeing uh, Al Albuquerque. You know, we're seeing uh, – Pretty much every everybody else in the pen used in high leverage situations, and they do have a guy in Jose Veras who has uh, extensive closing experience. It really, I don't know it just seems to me that if you have your best reliever, I know this is this goes back to the bullpen by committee crap, but it really seems to me if you need to use your best reliever in the seventh inning, when you know, then use your best reliever in the seventh inning, or but managers just don't look out of well. They don't, uh, I guess, uh, to put it this way, it seems like managers just want to be able to push an automatic button that I have my seventh inning guy, I have my eighth inning guy, I have my ninth inning guy. And I guess you could also say, Kurt, that maybe this also plays into comfort levels of the players. Maybe that's how the players want it as well. If uh, they want to know, for the most part, when and how they're going to be used, and if that means Joaquin Benoit has a closer's mentality and that's when he would prefer to be used right now, I guess maybe that's... uh, what Leyland's doing. Well, I do think that's part of it. I mean, I think most of us would like to, you know, would feel more comfortable when we knew what to expect. And you, you, if you're not knowing if you're going to pitch in the sixth or the ninth, you, you, it's hard to, you know, get through that where you go, okay, it's the sixth inning, I need to stretch, seventh inning, I need to start to throw a few warm-ups, you know, eighth inning, wait for my name to be called. You, you yeah. know, you go through that routine and, and and how can you start that routine if you don't know whether you're going to pitch in the sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth? So I I do think there that's the big reason to drive a lot of this. Uh, on the other hand, I, sometimes I wonder if Jim Leland just forgot the guys in his bullpen. <laughs> that's a possibility. Um, you too. know, he, he, Leland's like the same age as my mom, and she forgets everything. You know, <laughs> where's my pill? What day is it? Where, where's the TV guy? You you know that's so. Remember, I, I think they went about two weeks without Darren Downs getting into a game. I forgot Darren Downs was in the bullpen. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
it's easy to understand that Leland must have forgot that Darren Downs was in the bullpen. So maybe I, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, you got a point there because I, I think we all at one point forgot Downs was in the uh, in the bullpen, and it got so bad that the uh, in game threads people were posting milk cartons with Downs' face on it. So. <laughs> And also, and that's a, <laughs> I doubt he forgot about Benoit, but I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. You know, uh, that, that that nicotine does take a toll on you over the years. <laughs> Regardless, though, no, this is the uh, twenty. Well, this is a how Tony uh, Larusa revolutionized baseball, and we all know that he is Jim Leland's best buddy. So. They both have similar bullpen usage. So, but regardless of that, Ben Watson pitching as of late, he's pitched fairly well, and all seems actually current. All seems to be fairly well in the bullpen right now. We harped on the bullpen on and off all season long on the podcast, but with the uh, emergence of uh, Drew Smiley, with uh, Jose Veras being picked up, with the demotion of Phil Coke, which we'll talk to, we'll talk about shortly, uh, and obviously Bruce Rondon looking like he's finally starting to figure things out at the major league level. What what looked like a weakness two months ago really looks like a strength of this team now. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say a strength, but I would would say maybe neutral. You know, I I don't think they're going to have the best bullpen in the playoffs, but I think they have a bullpen that that is acceptable, that that can get the job done too. Uh, uh, you know, I, I just wrote, you know, for the Mets blog, they asked me a few questions and they asked about the bullpen. And I said, if the rotation during the playoffs goes deep into games like they've been doing, it's, the bullpen is just fine because right. those, those, those three guys, those four guys maybe that, to get the most use, you, you feel perfectly comfortable. You're not worried at all about them. So as long as they're, you know, the certain pitcher goes seven, eight innings, yeah, this is a great bullpen. If, if you start talking about a game that, is going to go 13 or 14 innings, and, you know, Leland's starting to look down his list of names, then I'm going to get a little worried. But in practical situations, in you know, 90% of game situations, the bullpen is good enough. It's just that that, that 10% that's going to leave me a little worried. Yeah, and, but then again, for I think you say that about the vast majority of bullpens in baseball. You know, it's, it's that... There is there is a definite percentage in every bullpen that has guys you just don't trust because no no team is full of twenty five all stars and you know you're going to have you know replacement level players at the end of your bullpen as you would at the end of your bench so um, but for the most part the Tigers are in a lot better shape in the pen than they were even even before Jerry Bodman call, was called up who has pitched pretty darn well himself to I think everybody's surprised well you know he since he's the the choice of the UP I guess. So uh, I guess I have to support him. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah, youpers forever. All right, uh, and we, we we've been alluding to Phil Coke, so we need to get into that a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of people thought this was overdue, but uh, after facing two batters in Tuesday's loss to the Twins, uh, and one of them was a bases loaded, ba- uh, bases loaded double to uh, Justin Morneau, and then the second batter he had to intentionally walk. Uh, it was uh, another in a series of ugly outings for Phil Coke, who started the season uh, as a as pretty much a late innings guy who they felt they could use safely against lefties and righties, to the point where he became a loogie and not a very good loogie at that. Because honestly, right, he was doing better against right-handed pitching than he was left-handed pitching over the past few weeks. Tigers have finally realized that, and they called up lefty Jose Alvarez to take his place on the roster, and they sent Coke down for what looks like it's only going to be a short-term stint, two weeks. Uh, after a while went down, Jim Leland said, we will bring him back up. We want him to work on his command for these two weeks. So he will be up. We're not sure exactly yet. I think uh, at the very latest, it will be September 2nd. Uh Coke had a 0-5 worker in a 5 ERA and has not pitched very well, Kurt. A lot of people thought this should have been done a month ago or maybe longer, but uh, I'm at least encouraged that the Tigers have finally decided that the Phil Coke experiment, at least in its current uh, example, its current scenario, needs to, needs to end and be fixed. So any thoughts on uh, Phil Coke being sent down uh, about, uh, about 45 minutes to the south? Yeah, he, like you alluded to, you know, it, we always thought he could be a loogie. He always seemed to be effective against yep. uh, left-handers. 
Meanwhile, right-handers were hitting like Miguel Cabrera often. Yeah. And, and then he started losing his effectiveness against lefties, too. And what are you going to do at that point? You, yeah. you can't keep throwing it out there and hoping for something to change. And, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I think Coach himself, he doesn't like the Lugie role. Yeah. I, you know, I think he kind of alluded to that in, in, in his post game, you know, when he got sent down. I, I think it sounds like he doesn't like the Lugie role. And I, and I know, you know, he, he, that the Maple Street Press Tigers annual we published two, a couple of years ago. He, in his interview, he said, I'm not a, I'm not a one out guy. I'm not a specialist. I'm right. a pitcher. And I don't, I don't want to be a specialist. And the Tigers are going to let me be a pitcher, so I'm happy. Well, I think he, 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 one, doesn't quite understand his own capabilities because it's obvious that he's always had poor splits against right-handers. It, it's gone back for years. And if, if he's not going to be happy just pitching the left-handers, if, you know, if his, if his displeasure with the situation is costing him an effectiveness, well, he's a lost cause. But yeah. he's not going to get right-handers out, so he's darn well better concentrate on getting the lefties out or there's just going to be no reason for teams to even carry him. Yeah, and uh, this is another one of those cases where you know we we after this went down and uh, you no know, Coke uh, gave up the huge hit and and then uh, the word came that he was bit sent he sent down. Uh, this is another case where where you see fan assholeish uh, ass come out and that much like they did with Brandon Inge and Ryan Rayburn and numerous other players before that and that they really seem to. They they hate everything about the guy, not his performance on the just, not just hold it to his performance on the field. Because overall, Phil Coke's done a lot of good things for this team. You know, uh, you know been a positive clubhouse presence. He's been active with uh, with uh, uh, outside of the organization when it comes to charities and just being a you know a role model for the team. Yet people just seem to be over their top with the bile and they hate for players like Coke who are struggling, who are struggling badly. And you know they're not trying to suck. You know, <laughs> you know it's like people. The attitude they take towards someone like Phil Coke is like, you know, he, you know, he's so bad. I gotta hate him no matter how nice a guy he is. And, and that, that's the kind of stuff that really bothers me about every fan base. And the Tigers have the more than their fair share of uh, fans who do that. To be fair, Phil Coke annoys me too. <laughs> but annoying does not hate. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's 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 something where you're not sure if he's being a prick or if he's just got a sense of humor that's so. I, all I tend to think it's more of that because he is a very outspoken. He's never hold, held his tongue. No, yeah, and and I, you know, from the people who have met him and been around him, it. I don't think that anyone has ever really put their finger on which is which. What Phil Coke is, he's like yeah. this. So you know, it's a lot easier to root for, say, a Don Kelly, yeah. who, who, you know, who's who a high. Visits yeah. kids who've been ate, almost ate by a bear. So. Well, you know, the Cadillac area. What are you going to do? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's easy to root for a Don Kelly. He's smiley, he's happy, he's happy to be there. He's gracious with the media. You know, you you could you, you root for him in an instant. I don't know how Rogo says what he does about Don. You know, <laughs> but but then Phil, where he, you know, he's got either that strange sense of humor or he's a prick, you know, either, either way, it, when he doesn't do his job, it might be easier for, for people to get personal. And, you know, of course, no one should ever let it get personal. It's, it's ridiculous that people ever do that, but that's, that's human nature. It's not just sports fans. I'm, I'm sure people in academia or elsewhere let it get personal, too. Yeah, but you know, and, there's a, and to his credit, he very easily, he had the time. He could have, Coke could have left the locker room after this went down. He didn't have to stay and speak to the media, yet he did and you know, he he you know, he pretty much said, Yeah, I haven't very haven't been very good and I you know, I want to fix what's wrong and as he put it, uh you're you know, you're not paid for what you think you're gonna do or what you expect to do. You're paid for what you've done. And Coke just has not been very good this year. But his credit card he did hang around and and give interviews to the media all and there are a, a, a segment of players out there who would have just bolted out of that locker room ASAP without having to uh, face the music. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, and, and you hear about that every team. There's some guy who does that. So it's 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 good that Phil, you know, he, he stood up to it. So you you got to respect him. I, exactly. I he's still going to annoy him, but you got to respect him. Yeah, you don't have to like him, but you should at least respect him. I, I, think, well, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, 
There's also been uh, some uh, controversy, I won't say controversy, but there's been rumblings when it comes to one Nick Castellanos. Uh, let's kind of lay the groundwork for this. Uh, a lot of people have been unhappy with the production on the left field this year. Uh, Andy Dirks, who has perked up as of late, you know, he's but he's still only hitting 246 on the year. Slugging is you know just 347. He's you know he's you know his on base percentage is only 314. He's not having a great year at the plate, even though he is he plays well. He plays very well defensively. And Matt Tuiasopo, who is pretty much falling off a cliff, he's pretty much turned back into a pumpkin after spending the first half as a you know as a as Snow White's carriage, I guess is the best way to put it. If I'm going to use pumpkin as the allegory. But he's only hitting 174 in the second half, and he's even slugging worse in the second half than Dirks. He's hitting, you know, his numbers right now look like uh, Ramon Santiago's in the second half. I think actually Santiago's been better, <laughs> which says something. Uh, if you know over the whole year, production has been right around league average, but with two Yasusopos, I think inflated number has, has inflated that by his first half. Regardless, there's been rumblings, uh, mostly from you know, our, our our friend Lynn Henning of the Detroit News, that he actually put out a tweet last week saying the Tigers are seriously considering calling up their top prospect to help, well, maybe solve some left field production issues. In in a kind of response to that, uh, one of our, one of our TPR uh, uh, guys, uh, Jordan, posted kind of I wouldn't call it a rebuttal, but what. You, what to expect from Castellanos if he gets called up. And I think the title of it pretty much says it all. Nick Castellanos is not the savior. Uh, you know, people may be expecting that if the Tigers call up Castellanos that he's going to be putting up Mike Trout or, or uh, Mike Trout type numbers. Uh, I, that, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, he hasn't put up Mike Trout covers at AAA for Christ's sake. But regardless of all that, Kurt, there are rumblings that they will bring him up, and they may want to have him handy for the playoff roster. So what do you think is going to happen with the Castellano story? Uh, do you think that he may be caught up, brought up like Alvisiel Garcia was on the 31st just to have him in their hip pocket? Or do you think he'll just be a normal September roster call-up, and if the Tigers are impressed by his September play, they can do some uh, disabled list juggling to get him on the roster? So what do you think is going to happen? Well, it wouldn't surprise me to see. Yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see him called up with a date to go, just to give them more options when they when they get to October. But I, you know, I agree with Jordan. I the Tigers fans have always Detroit fans and maybe sports fans have always had backup quarterback syndrome. Uh, the, the the backup guy is always is always the guy who's going to come in and do turn around. You know. Then, didn't matter in Detroit, and then every time the Lions changed to the backup quarterback, the new backup quarterback would become Mr. Popularity because yep. the backup quarterback failed at the job too. Well, I, you know, I'm not saying that Castellanos is, is going to come up and fail at the job, but uh, they, they, people have turned him into something he's not. I mean, he's not even hitting 800 OPS in AAA. Right. Major league pitchers are better than AAA pitchers by definition. So what what do they expect is going to happen to Nick when he's up here? And, and why do they think, you know, a guy who's been shifted from the infield into to the outfield and he spent the year there, you know, he's, he's maybe sure he's capable of playing it, but it's not like you're going to go, well, I've got this all-star gold glove left fielder. So it, it's just getting to the level of ridiculousness. I, they could call him up, and it wouldn't surprise me if he just hit the same as what Dirks and Tui Asasoko were doing. I, I just, you know, maybe he can hold his own in the big leagues. I just don't understand why they think that, He's some sort of a, a, a solution to the problem. I think he's just going to be the same as everyone else. And it, like I said, backup quarterback syndrome is the only reason that I can come up with because it doesn't seem like it, it should be a realistic expectation that for him to be anything else. And one of the things to keep in mind, I think, for the outside outsized uh, expectations for Castellanos is that realistically, he's been the only Tigers prospect that the majority of the media has even alluded to when it comes to Tigers having help in the minor leagues, for the exception of Rondon. Uh, it really does feel like that he has been such a focus of saying, well, he is the Tigers' top prospect. You know, you know, He's their only prospect when it comes to position players. At least that's what we're being told by a lot of the mainstream media, that Tigers fans see that and say, you know, 
you know, this is the guy they're always talking about. Thus, he must be really good. Thus, he will be able to replicate that production in the big leagues, which is very far from the truth. But I think that has a lot to do with the outsized uh, expectations, Curtis, that he's the only prospect that people tend to talk about. Yeah, that could be a part of it, too. It's, uh, and especially now that anyone else who's a prospect is gone. But we, we've been having these corner outfield discussions for a while now. You know? Yes, we have. Logan Ramirez, remember how big he was supposed to be, yep. you know, and, and of course, Abisail Garcia, I think Lynn Henning's been following him since he was about a 16 or 17 year old, yeah. and then Dan Reed Vasquez, or, you know, he became the next big thing when he signed, the, you know, the international deal as like a 16 or 17 year old, so I, I, I think we just keep going through the, the turning these corner outfielders into some sort of uh, a thing they're not, you know, uh, it, it's it, it just isn't realistic. If he was hitting 950 or, you know, a uh, 1,000 OPS yeah. down in the minor He would already be up if he was doing Yeah, that. then you'd be excited and you'd be going, you know, what the hell are they taking so long for? But exactly. He, he's not even hitting 800. So let's just give the – and he, he doesn't seem to have a lot of power. So let's just give the kid a break, you know. he And you know what's going to happen. You, we both know what's going to happen. Yes, we People do. People are going to – People are gonna who had who has been arguing for him to be called up for the past three months. They're gonna turn on him just as soon as they see he's not the player that they thought he was. So poor Nick is just trying to play baseball. They've turned him into some sort of a god, and when they find out he's not the god that they think he is, they're gonna turn on him. So it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, uh <laughs> again, I guess uh, not to blame sports talk radio, but I blame sports talk radio. It's the it's the sports talk radioization of our fan base, unfortunately, and that uh, everything needs to be fixed and everything needs to be fixed right away. And baseball, unfortunately, that is not realistic. And if, if Andy Dirksen at least gives you average production out of left field with the rest of the lineup, they should be fine offensively. And people do tend to forget that Dirks is by far uh, I think their best defensive corner outfielder, you know, Corey, I think Torrey Hunter used to be a very good corner outfielder. I don't, I wouldn't call him that anymore, but uh, that's got to play into it is that, you know, you're going to see Dirks because one, he can feel the position and two, he's still right now, maybe not in 2014, but right now he is the best option they have to play in left field for this team. And that's way it's probably going to play out the rest of the year. Unless, like you said, uh, Cassianos just goes absolutely nuts when he gets called up, and as you said, you know, hits like Miguel Cabrera. But the odds of that happening, as much as we'd love to see it, are pretty slim. And, and let's just talk about Dirks for a second, because remember, it wasn't that long ago when people had turned Dirks into this guy. Exactly. So what do we need another left fielder for? We got Andy Dirks. Yeah, because he had he had a good month or two in in, in last season before his injury, so he had become this this guy. And then Tui Asasopo. Why isn't Tui Asasopo yep. playing more? Why isn't yeah. Tui Scott, I, I would ban <laughs> sports radio. I would ban sports radio. It should it yeah. should be illegal that, because all they're doing is they're they're trying to create drama where drama doesn't exist and they're dumbing down the sports fan. And people call these idiots and they think they're experts. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Oh my God! How could these morons ever think that these idiots are experts? <laughs> and why why the heck do sports franchises insist on calling the media and inviting them in. Yeah. I, bloggers know a hundred times more than they, any moron doing sports talk radio, and yet many teams look at the bloggers as if they're they're nothing, and they're inviting these morons who don't know what the heck they're talking about to come and cover their team as if they're real media. It, just, it disgusts me. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, put it this way. Who watches more baseball, uh, Terry Foster, Mike Valeni, or us? Yeah. <laughs> pure and simple. It's, it's every, everybody at Bless You Boys. Pure and simple. So, regardless of all that, you know, we're all we all want we're all looking forward to see Castellanos when he gets called up. But yeah, I'm going to make sure to link to it in the show notes. That please read Jordan's post just to temper your enthusiasm. That if he doesn't come out and turn into uh, into into a Puig or somebody, well. It's just because most rookies don't, and and also when people throw those uh, those uh, expectations out there, you know, Yashio uh, Puig, you know, he's older, he's more experienced, you know, he played at the highest level Cuban baseball. So there's there's a lot of things going on here in this mix around Casianos. I just hope we just let the kid play baseball when the Tigers do decide to call him up, and then let's start talking about him being the, the starting left fielder 
in spring training of next year, and he'll have to earn that job. So, All right, I think we're a little out of breath after the ranting and raving after, uh, on uh, Sports Talk radios and, and fan bases and things like that. So let's, let's rant and rave about instant replay. <laughs> uh, since we last spoke on the podcast, uh, it broke that MLB is going to expand instant replay. Uh, it needs to be voted on to be made official by the owners, and it will need to be approved by the, the Players Union and the Umpires Union. Baseball is going to a challenge system in 2014. Uh, managers will be allowed one challenge in the first seven innings of games, and then two in the seventh inning on. Uh, calls that are challenged are supposed to be reviewed by a crew at MLB headquarters. Originally, I think we were told it was going to be the on-site on umpire crew, but now we're getting word it's going to be an MLB crew in New York City, at MLB headquarters, and they will make the final ruling. Uh, the question of all this, Kurt, is going to a challenge system. Uh, there, there's been a huge, there's been huge issues with this at the NFL where, you know, coaches have had to blow their challenges early in games for legitimate reasons, you know, with legitimate bad calls, and then they won't have those challenges when they really need them late in the game. Uh, the NFL did, uh, take care of some of those issues by going strictly to booth review on all scores and turnovers and in the last two minutes of a half. And to talk about expanding that booth review, uh, maybe to, uh, the, the last two minutes of every uh, every quarter, you know, things like that. That's what I would like to see, Kurt. I think they would be much better served just to go to strictly booth review, take the challenge system right off the board, because I think this is going to cause, I won't say just as many headaches as it solves, I still think it's going to be a, a jumbled mess at times, and there's going to be controversies where managers have burned their challenges and they won't have them, and then there's, a, for example, Amanda Galarraga's uh, – should be perfect game. What if Jim, if the challenge system had been effect and there have been some close plays in that game and Leland would have had to burn his challenges? No, there's all kinds of what ifs in this, I think, that are going to really be cause some headaches for Major League Baseball. Yeah, I've always been a big believer in the booth system. You know, I, I guess I, I can understand your argument where, you, where you'd say, well, you know, who do you appeal to? That's, that's why you get a challenge. It, it's yeah. essentially an appeal. And you know, and and as soon as, like you said, as soon as you introduce one challenge, then you're 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 introducing problems because there aren't more challenges. Or you have two, but you don't have three. Or you have three, but you don't have four. There's always that what if question. But I, I you know, I I really think for the most part that first off, I think the 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 umpires do a great job, and I know people always want to you know point out this or that, but. For the most part, I think the umpires do a great job. You watch these replays, and there's replays all the time, and you watch them, and the umpires are almost always right. And these big, big, you know, big, it's it's amazing that these guys are so good at their job that they're getting it, the call right in, in things so fast that the eye can barely pick it up, and, and almost every time. So I, 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 pitching, pitching strike zones, that's another question. But I, I, so I think we, I don't want to, too much bad about the umpires, but uh, yeah, it, it 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 doesn't seem like a like an ideal system. But I I don't know if I'm really as worried about it as maybe you. And and, and if a little strategy has to go into how the the manager chooses to do his thing, so be it. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's what's going to what umpire. I mean, uh, managers are not going to like about this is that it's more it gives more chances for second guessing, and. Uh, it wouldn't bother me just to take it right out of everybody's hands and just go to booth review. But who knows? It may end up going that way sooner than later. You know, at that booth review seems to work fairly well in college football. Hey, it works in a little league and world series, you know? So, but, uh, at the very least, baseball is doing more than just dipping their toes in the replay and are actually going to make it happen. At least that, that's progress. And in baseball, oftentimes that's what we have to be happy with is progress. It may not be perfect. But it's progress. All right, a few controversies before we wrap up the show. Uh, lots around PEDs, so on and so forth. Let's start with Miguel Tejada. Uh, last weekend, uh, Miguel Tejada was suspended for 105 games following multiple positive tests for Adderall, which is considered an amphetamine. Third longest non-lifetime suspension that was ever handed out. I think that's what shocked everybody. Uh, this has really got to be a career ender for Tejada, Kurt. And... I think why I'm no I'm not going to give him the benefit of doubt when it comes to much of this in Tahana's case is that he's admitted at least buying HGH, you know, I'll put the quotes up there around buying. And he's he 
and he's been uh, alligated a lot of this PE stuff through his career. And it all could have been avoided, I guess, if he had uh, filled out some specific paperwork that would have given him some dispensation into taking Adderall. But he didn't do it. So there's a lot of stuff circling around to Hadekert that really, I I guess you can't really give him much of the benefit of the doubt because he's pretty much blown every chance he's had. The hard thing is realizing that Tejada was still in major league. That, yeah, and actually was playing well for the Royals as a as a kind of a utility man. Yeah, like a two eighty eight average or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 but yeah, that, that was the first big surprise. And the, the, I mean, it, it wasn't related to the the suspension, but it was, it was just a surprise to see that he was still playing and playing so well. So, but yeah, I, I guess we know why. But, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's. it's there's a lot of silliness when it comes to PEDs, and people know my opinion. I think we make too much of this stuff. Yeah, well, we, we people who make too much of this stuff, Kurt, will have lots to say about Ryan Braun. And this has actually happened earlier today uh, via a press release, uh, pretty much wanting to be the anti-Alex Rodriguez. Braun came clean and admitted he used PEDs in parts of the 2011 season. The reasons why, which he said was to recover from injuries, is, which is what, what we've talked about in these podcasts in the past, is that, you know, oftentimes it's used for that, even though, you know, well, I'll get into the even those in a second. And he publicly apologized for the lies and deception and specifically to the, uh, the, pers- the, uh, the person who handled the specimen last year, who he pretty much slandered over all this. So, uh, you know, he said he used it to recover from injury. But this is one of those situations, Kurt. I think there's a couple things. It's the Brian thing that kind of bothers me. Just in one, why should we believe anything he says after he's been lying through his teeth for the last couple years? And two, why should we even care or require an apology? That's one of the things that's always bugged me about people who, you know, they feel they've been wrong. You know, you're at a store. Well, uh, I want my money back and I want an apology. You know, the, the apology doesn't mean anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's just a feel-good thing that was written by either uh, agents or lawyers and isn't going to give you everything that – he's not going to tell the, the entire truth. Right now, Braun is saying, yeah, I used to recover from injuries. I think I, t- I took lozenges and things like that. Maybe so, maybe not. But this is one of those cases where when it comes to Braun, you know, burn once, shame on you. Burn twice, shame on me. And uh, this is the burn twice part. Well, you know, I live by a, by a rather simple creed, I guess, and my, my creed is action speaks louder than words. I don't care what people write or what they say. I just care what they do. So, you know, whether whether my opinion on Ryan Braun, and, and my opinion on Ryan Braun to begin with was not remotely anything like anyone else's because I really didn't give a crap then either, but, you know, the, my my opinion is going to be swayed by whether or not he writes an apology. You, how, well, how he handles himself in the future exactly. is, is the only thing that matters. I don't care whether he apologized or if he said, screw you, ha, 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 eat my butt. You yeah. know, all I care is about action. Yeah. This is one of those things, you know, where people, I want an apology. Yeah, they, you know, big corporations have a, a form for that. They say, apology form, print it out and sign it. You know, that's essentially what this is. So it's just... Uh, you know, nice, nice wrapping over a turd, and you know, I, as Kurt said, you know, this is one of those things. Ryan Braun's future, uh, you know, his repu- what, what, if he can salvage his reputation, it's not from uh, from what he's doing right now. It's not from the apology. It's what he does from here on out in the rest of his career. So uh, again, we'll see what happens. But you know, apology, apology. Just let's move on from Ryan Braun. Now we can all forget about him till next year. At least I think that's the best thing about the apology. We don't have to talk about it anymore. One more thing. Ryan Dempster and Alex Rodriguez. This was really, really ridiculous, Kurt. Uh, I'm sure you're watching this because I believe you run the uh, SB Nation Twitter on Sunday nights. And on the Sunday night baseball game on ESPN last week, and one of the more blatant, ridiculous, and stupid stunts you'll ever see a pitcher pull, the Red Sox Dempster threw at Alex Rodriguez four times, finally hitting him with the last pitch. Then things just got even. No, this is where you would queue up yakety sacks. Is that the only person who ended up getting ejected was the Yankees manager Joe Girardi for standing up for Alex Rodriguez. The umpire just issued warnings, as we've seen before in the instance with the Tigers. People should have been tossed, but weren't. They weren't again in this case. Ultimately, Ryan Dempster was suspended of being in those five games. Uh, and it's come out that Dempster has said things in the past that he didn't like A Rod, he didn't like what he's done. 
And I'll, essentially, this was uh, a vendetta. It was uh, what's the, you know kind of a he, he took the law into his own hands and decided, well, baseball can't punish him enough. I'm going to punish him more. And this is the kind of ridiculous bullshit that gets people hurt. Uh, Dempster should have been suspended more than five games. You know, there should have been a lot more done by the umpires in that game. It should, you know, they should have been tossed after the second freaking pitch. But this was just one of those situations, Kurt, where nobody, the only person that came out looking good was Alex Rodriguez. When Alex Rodriguez becomes a sympathetic figure, you really screwed up bad. Yeah, I, I was going to say what you just said. The the second pitch, it should have been pretty obvious what was going on, and he should have been tossed. It, yeah. It, 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 the whole thing was ridiculous. Actually, I, I didn't see it because I, I was out Oh, camping. that's right. You were camping that weekend. That's right. You were out freezing your ass off or something. Actually, no. It was like 85 degrees. <laughs> I was sweating my ass off. But, uh, you know, over by Grand Marais, uh, Tormont Beach and, and Hurricane River. That's where I was. Great place. Nobody should go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, the whole it's it's really truly ridiculous, it, and the fact that Girardi gets tossed when yeah. when, when Dempster's the guy throwing behind somebody, it's it, 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 I I don't even know what to say. You know, baseball, one step forward, six steps back. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, and I guess uh, you could say uh, Alex Rodriguez had the last event because he had a huge game. I think, you know, he had a home run, three hits, not, you know, and the Yankees won. Uh, it was just one of those, you know, Ryan Dempster actually just comes out looking like uh, an absolute idiot more than anything else. You know, it's, but then again, you don't have to be a genius to play baseball. You just have to have some athletic talent. <laughs> and I think in this situation, Ryan Dempster proved he's a blithering idiot. So, all right, uh I think it's time to wrap the show up because, uh, well, we both have things to do tonight. I'm, I have to recap tonight's game for the, the Tigers game for Bless You Boys, and Kurt has SB Nation duties. So it's time to wrap the show up by going into our final thoughts. You know, And obviously you're first, Kurt, because you have no one else on the show, so I hope you have something to add. <laughs> oh, I add that if anyone gets hit in the nuts tonight, I will I will write about it. <laughs> if anyone goes, well, you know, what does, what, when Al says Kurt works for SB Nation, what does he mean? And, yeah. Uh, actually, I, I actually, I, I run SBNation.com after five o'clock. Runs the mothership. And that means, you know, making the editorial decisions and tweeting. And, uh, it also means that when somebody gets into the nuts and somebody has to write about it, that person is me. So. Yep. Uh, my job, you know, if you looked at my resume, it would, it would, it would, I, I have to include nut shots on the resume, probably with a hashtag. <laughs> so that, that's truly what I do. So, you know, please join us for all of your nut shot needs. Yeah, and uh, people, you would not have any idea the page views a nut shot gif will get you. <laughs> I think Jose Iglesias led the week last week. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that's essentially Kurt writes, look, look what happened to him, ha ha. And, you know, and it gets 5 million page views or some such nonsense. So uh, that pretty much, I think, says it all about sports fans sometimes, Kurt. As much as we like to think, oh, they love educated, smart baseball talk, they would much rather see gifts of Jose Iglesias being hit in the nuts by three different angles. I think I called it a dangle danger. <laughs> yes. Dangles were endangered. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, uh Let's see. All I really want to add, well, there's, uh, you know, this is, I think, I find myself in kind of in the, the situation Kurt was last week where I really don't have much to bitch about because most of my bitching I've already done, you know, because we went off on Sports Talk Radio and I'm still threatening to do a, a live blog of some of the crap I hear in Sports Talk Radio. That, you know, but, uh, the, the problem is I would have to subject myself to several hours of it into it, it would keep me away from, you know, doing other things like living a life. But I, I'm still tempted to do it the next time I hear something egregiously nuts. But, again, uh, you know, other than that, you know, I just want to say, uh, you know, thank everybody for coming to the site because the site is doing absolutely gangbusters business. We're going to have uh, – we're setting highs almost every week when it comes to visits and page views and things like that. And uh, it's all – you know, we do what we can to give you guys content to read, but you guys keep coming back and uh, tell you know, they're telling us, Kurt, that we're doing something right because we're doing great. And I will add that, you know, at the beginning of the year, we were nowhere near the top of the list in, in comments. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't even close. But now, you know, we're, we're routinely top four, top five, top three during each week in comments. So, uh, you know, I'm, 
we don't make the comments you guys do. So, exactly. So you know, thanks thanks for all you all you do. Yeah, we uh, at least Kurt and I we just tend to dip our toes into the comments, you know, but. Rob Rob gets right in the muck of it, so <laughs> and some of the other guys too, like hook slides. So, but regardless of that, guys, uh, thank you so much for for checking out the blog and the podcast. So, oh, and there, there's there one other thing you should talk about, Kurt. This is the bless you boys Twitter close to another uh, milestone. We only we, need a few followers to reach like nine thousand or something we, like that. We are, we are at if, if this is up to date eighty nine hundred eighty nine, and I don't even know how we got. Yeah. I was, you know, it just seems like we just passed 8,000. Now we're going to get to 9,000. My hope is that by the end of the, uh, the end of the World Series, we get to 10,000. So, and I think we can do it. So. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm going to have to keep bringing it up in the, uh, you know, in recaps and things like that. You know, uh, like, you know, follow us on Twitter. So at least we'll, we'll get ourselves, that way we also go, we'll get up higher in Phil Koch's brain's, uh, uh, Twitter rankings. <laughs> Good, because we we were getting stopped and, and yes, we, we were. Yeah, we can't win. How, how, and we pay here. If we can't win, well, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> And that seems like a good point to get into where you can find us online. Uh, on Twitter, of course, I'm Big L B Y B. Kurt, how about yourself? Where can they find you on the Twitters? Well, I, I try to tweet the Blessy Boys as much as possible. Yep. And, and it does get confusing because sometimes myself or Rob Reef and Allison jump on it too. And sometimes, sometimes two people do games. Game thread overflows at the same time, <laughs> so it does get low. I've been confused before when people are replying to things I didn't say. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. But yes, uh, Rob, you, Allison, and me. Who well, knows about part it's you? Part of all. Yeah. Yes. No. If, if you enjoy learning about Donner's colon, please read uh, BYB Kurt. So. Yeah, for dog pictures and things like that. Dog pictures and updates on whether he has gas. Yep. Tune in to BYB Exactly. And, of course, uh, you and Rob do team up on the SB Nation Major League Baseball account about three times a week. That's at SBN, that's actually SB Nation MLB. So. Yes. We're, we at Blessy Boys are slowly taking over the world. So we're, we're trying. We're you trying. want to get on board with us before it's too late. Yeah, get on board or be left behind. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up the show because we're actually about five minutes longer than we were. So, because uh, well, we actually we both got stuff to take care of. I got so, I got to work, man. Yes, you do. Actually, I do too. I got I got a I got another three thousand word recap to crank out. So, and that will not for a few hours yet. But you got you got to get to work. So we got to wrap this up. So until this time next week, hopefully sometime in this time next week, Kurt and I'll get together to figure out what we will get together to talk. This is L. Beat saying uh, good night and good luck. Along with Kurt Magic. It's coffee time. It should be beer time. We'll see you at next beer time on the Bless You Boys podcast. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella.